0: In order to foster open discussion
1: of human relationships with nature and the earth
0: and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world.
1: Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers
2: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana,
1: and financially supported by listeners like you.
2: hello and welcome to eco report
0: for wfhb i'm juliana daly and i'm cynthia roberts Later in the program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose asks green business consultant and Indiana native Brandon Pitcher about his work in the hemp industry and his current ecopreneurial endeavors, creating a range of sustainable health products that his company is developing from fungal extracts. And now for your
2: environmental reports. The growing divide in life expectancy among Indiana counties is cause for concern. The gap between the state's higher life expectancy counties and those on the lower end continues to widen. In 1984, the life expectancy at birth for residents of Hamilton County was 1.1 years longer than those living in Scott County. As of 2018, the gap between the two has grown to nearly nine years. To be sure, These communities are outliers on either end of the spectrum. Hamilton County's life expectancy of 81.8 in 2018 is roughly two years greater than runner-up Monroe County at 79.9, while Scott County's mark of 72.9 is more than a year below Wayne County, the holder of Indiana's second lowest life expectancy at 74.3. Even beyond these extremes, the divide between the state's higher life expectancy counties and those on the lower end continues to widen. Which counties in Indiana have below average life expectancy? In the northern tier, counties of LaPorte and Lake, life expectancy is about two years under the other counties along the border with Michigan. Among the counties along the Ohio River, only Posey, Warwick, and Spencer have life expectancies over 78 years. The county with the shortest life expectancy is Scott, where the life expectancy is 72.9 years. The counties along the Ohio State Line and east of Indy have life expectancies just under 75 years. The greatest life expectancies are found in counties just north of Indy. Marion County is about two years under the state average. Life expectancy in Monroe County is nearly 80 years, among the highest in the state. The causes of these differences in life expectancy are numerous. In general, the usual trend is followed. White wealthy communities have the highest life expectancy while neighborhoods of color die earlier. Furthermore, the counties with lower life expectancies are those downwind of air pollution centers such as coal-fired power plants, steel, and British petroleum. Polluting industries are normally placed in either poor neighborhoods or where people of color reside. Indiana has very weak laws on air pollution.
0: The following story appeared in the Indy Star in their coverage of the current legislative session. It reveals that legislators who own construction companies weren't satisfied with the hundreds of thousand acres of wetland that were removed from protection last year. This year, the same contractors are back wanting more land. Many environmental groups, business leaders, and Democrats say they were blindsided last week by a last-minute amendment to a bill that further erodes protection for the dwindling wetlands that remain in Indiana. The move comes after a controversial 2021 bill that gutted many safeguards for the important ecological features. The amendment to Senate Bill 414 was approved during a House Environmental Affairs Committee meeting on March 22nd. The bill which had been approved by the Senate was originally about residential sewage systems. The amendment adds language that also redefines how wetlands are classified the end result if the bill passes and is signed by the governor it will become even easier for developers to build on wetlands these changes come just months after a report from a variety of stakeholders and water experts said the state needs to do more not less to protect indiana's wetlands That study followed the 2021 legislation that placed more than half of the state's 800,000 acres of wetlands in jeopardy. Wetlands serve critical functions for the environment. They filter and purify water as it absorbs into the ground. They capture and store excess stormwater to reduce flooding, and they provide essential habitat wildlife. This year's amendment would benefit the building industry, critics say, and was authored by a builder, Representative Doug Miller. The Elkhart Republican owns a construction and home building company and also serves on the board of directors for the Indiana Builders Association. For many opponents, those ties raise a concern about conflict of interest in connection to the amendment that was made public just two hours before the committee meeting. Quote, It was really bizarre to have wetlands brought into a sewage and septic bill, end quote, said Representative Maureen Bauer, Democrat from South Bend, who who serves on the House Environmental Committee. No one was expecting that. It feels like political games. Several groups, including the Indiana Chapter of Commerce, Hoosier Environmental Council, and White River Alliance, said they would have testified against the bill if they had been aware of the amendment. Bauer and Representative Sue Arrington, Democrat from Muncie, asked for the bill to be held to allow for additional consideration and public testimony on the amendment. House Environmental Affairs Chairman Representative Alan Morrison, Republican of Brazil, refused and said he wanted to move the bill that day. Morrison did not respond to Indy Star request for comment. Quote, this subverts the Democratic public participation process, end quote, said Jill Hoffman, executive director of the White River Alliance and a member of the group that convened the 2022 wetlands study. Continuing
2: with the previous story about the wetlands in Indiana, only one person testified on the amendment. Rick Waja, CEO of the Indiana Builders Association, who spoke in support. Waja did not respond to the IndyStar questions, including if he knew about the amendment before it was released or helped in its drafting. Both Wajda and amendment author Miller, who also did not respond to IndyStar requests for comment, said during the hearing that the amendment is needed to clear up some changes from the 2021 law. As introduced, the 2021 bill would have removed protections for all wetlands in Indiana. The state already had lost more than 85 percent of its historic wetlands over time through farming and development, the fourth greatest loss in the U.S., according to the Audubon Great Lakes. After opposition in 2021, lawmakers kept some safeguards in place for Class II and III wetlands, or those of higher quality. Still the law made it easier to build on wetlands and remove some mitigation requirements to help make up for those lost to development. Now the amendment makes it more difficult to classify a wetland as Class 2 or 3, thus making it harder to protect the high-quality resources. Under current law, a wetland only has to meet one of a few factors to be classified as protected. It must support minimal wildlife, serve as an aquatic habitat, have hydrologic, have hydrologic function, or be a rare wetland type. But with the new amendment, a wetland would have to meet all criteria to merit protection. Brian Veig, freshwater policy director for Audubon Great Lakes, called it, quote, a huge step backwards for Hoosiers, birds, and other wildlife that depend on this vital natural resource, end quote. At the beginning of this century, there were about 800,000 acres of wetlands across Indiana, according to the state. That's just 4% of Indiana's land. When the Class 1 protections were removed in 2021, more than 400,000 acres were left unprotected, Ellis said. In the simplest terms, the homebuilders industry and many of our legislators just don't see the value in wetlands and chose to exploit our natural resources. Senator Shelley Yoder, Democrat from Bloomington, said she hopes the Senate as a whole will do the right thing and remove the controversial change. Quote, not only because it's bad public policy, she said, but because it was done at the last minute and was largely insulated from public discussion
0: and testimony. End quote. And finally, this update on the wetlands amendment. Indy Star reports that legislation rolling back wetlands protections may have been dealt a fatal blow Thursday after Indiana lawmakers stripped the language out of a sewage and septic system bill for irrelevance. Representative Sue Arrington, Democrat of Muncie, Marine Bauer, Democrat of South Bend, considered the decision a win. Arrington remembered to attempted to pass a similar amendment reinstating the protections in late March to no avail. The controversial language redefining how wetlands are classified puzzled Democrats when it was added to an unrelated bill dealing with septic and sewer systems it would have made it more difficult to give a wetland a protected classification and was opposed by several environmental groups
2: and now zero rose discusses hurdles to the hemp industry in the united states and how natural ingredients for health products can replace toxic norms while incentivizing forest preservation with brandon pitcher of blue circle mushrooms
1: We're speaking today with Brandon Pitcher of Blue Circle Mushrooms and Fungi Extract. How are you doing today, Brandon? Good, man, yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. And uh, you've always had a lot of things uh, going on, a lot of irons in the fire. Um, What is your uh, uh, current focus at the moment? What's uh, the bulk of your uh, activity?
3: Right now, my focus is on helping develop the mushroom industry in the united states um you know we've invested in a couple mushroom farms Invested in a mushroom extraction business and um uh that's going pretty well right now and very exciting times for the mushroom industry in our country you know after the pandemic uh, you know the the awareness of, of how the health benefits of mushrooms from everything from you know uh, um mental health uh, all the way through skin care you know so uh, the uh, we we work on developing uh, the raw ingredients for um,
1: clients who want to utilize those products and uh, how long have you been been uh, doing that kind of thing well
3: I, mean, I got involved in mushrooms over 20 years ago I mean I've always' I've always educated on them but but for the apps for the business side like this oh I've been off and on for over a decade, you know, um, we've invested in a couple of commercial mushroom farms um, over the years. Invested in a, a few, I mean, beyond be honest, psilocybin operations in other countries and other places. And um, you know, now it's coming up, you know, legal here in the United States, at least where where I am in Colorado and in Washington and in California and in Oregon. Um, you know, these uh, these uh, ingredients or these, these 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 mushrooms are are um, becoming very, very popular and very, very uh, useful for many, many
1: different uh, purposes for humanity. So you say that it is legalized on a certain level or on a state level? Well, it's been decriminalized out
3: here, um, which means you're allowed to grow them, you're allowed to possess them, you're allowed to consume them, uh, but you're not allowed to commercially transact yet. So it's the lowest level crime you can have worth, you know, lower than a speeding infraction uh, you know, um, but so so you the interest is really picked up and and and, um, you know, the fact that things like the FDA are supporting, you know, um, you know, certain clinical trials around mushrooms that are proving to be very, very successful. Um, and and a lot of other, you know, anecdotal evidence from people who have been consuming them for thousands of years. So you're seeing a merging of all of those cultures and um, a lot of excitement right now around the around this, uh, the opportunities ahead. To help humanity and also make some money at the same time,
1: and uh, I know that's kind of been part of your five kingdoms approach, and that you've done a lot of things around food and I guess uh, sort of regenerative agriculture. I want to uh, describe the kind of five kingdoms approach?
3: Yeah, sure. So that's my my background in education uh, it really comes from a man named Gunter Pauli, who started what's called the Zero Emissions Research and Initiatives Organization. And um, he taught me what's called the five kingdom design approach. And so that's looking at the five kingdoms of nature. So bacteria, you know, algae, plants, animals, and fungus, and how they interact in ecosystems to create sustainability on earth. Um, so how do we learn from that and, and mimic that in our own, you know, industrial operations and survival on earth. And so that always was my inspiration. So I always work with plants or, or fungus or, you know, eventually, you know, I've worked with algae in the past and, and stuff like that. But I, I would like, you know, I, I did hemp for a few years. We, you know, that industry got legalized and developed. Now we're developing a lot of the mushroom side of it. Um, and then my, my plan is after a couple of years of this, then I'll, I will start developing algae farms.
1: And so what what were some of the uh, products that you uh, consulted about, helped develop with hemp?
3: I uh, was hemp. I was a consultant on um, anything from just biofiber, the, the hemp creek the material out of Canada, that the building material, uh, you know, international building code approved, pretty amazing product, um, to the hemp car uh, with a guy named Bruce Dietzen. We did his carbon footprint analysis and um, supplied him with uh, liquid fuels uh, so that way he could uh, travel across the country and, and, and one of the most efficient cars possible. Um, and then we have we, um, uh, consulted with hemp. Um, well, it was a hemp plastics company years ago. Now, but they're, they're no longer around. Uh, but but did, did a lot of work with them. Um, helped set up extraction labs. Done some work in um, did some investing in hemp foods companies. Uh, one of the largest traded hemp foods companies in the nation. We were we were, we supported for a few years. Um, and then we've done uh, some partnerships with some hemp textile companies. You know, and and, and worked with them on, on some of the stuff. And then we have, we did a lot of hemp farms. Uh, when CBD came around, before the market crashed, and, and and then the market crashed and really hurt a lot of people. But, but before that, you know, you know th- there was a lot of opportunity, and there still is a lot of opportunity in hemp, um, but more so in the industrial applications of the plants, and and really utilizing it to compete with uh, petroleum and corn and soy, um, and and not just the uh, CBD production. You know, I mean the, the hemp's real potential. Is in in potentially being with millions of acres to compete with something like like soy and corn, you know, whenever we realize the utilization of the whole plant and and, and not just a few pieces of it.
1: And that's uh, partly because it uh, does not require the same kind of pesticides or intensive agriculture?
3: Well, I mean, there's a a lot of myths about that, you know, in the beginning. So it depends on how you grow it and for what purposes and in what climates. Um, Some climates, it can be very moldy. And so people still have to use a fungicide uh, type of products or they have to prepare for that, um, depending on what they're growing. Um, And in other climates, there are lots of bugs, and lots of pests. I mean, we had farms in Indiana and those worms just whatever they are, caterpillar-looking worm things, they love that plant, you know, and they get in there and destroy the buds and flowers. And so it becomes a bit of a hassle. And so a lot of people have probably utilized um, more than they lead on to, you know. And so whenever the, the legalization of hemp again there's a lot of myths propagated by a lot of people saying, Well, you know, hemp doesn't get you high, hemp, you know, hemp does you know, hemp uh, you know, doesn't require pesticides or herbicide, you know, it grows without any water, you can plant it on, you know, polluted lands. <clears throat> well, you might be able to do some of that stuff, but that's not really commercially viable. You know, so you have to if you want it to be a commercial industry, we have to be a little more understanding and you know, scientific of, of with our use of the plants and and, then moving it forward. I mean, we have the knowledge to do it. We have the technology. We just currently don't have the investment capital behind that industry. Um, But we don't make, you know, we grow 8 million acres of cotton in this country, but we don't produce t-shirts here, right? So I mean, it doesn't. You know, it's hard for us to say. Okay, we're just going to start growing a bunch of hemp, and we're going to start making hemp clothes here, and we're going to start making hemp cars here, and hemp all this stuff. We don't have manufacturing here right now for hardly anything. You know, so it's 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 it'd be cool to say, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, and I, I'm a big supporter of that. If we could, if we if we were to wake up as a country, you know, and and put the required investment necessary to support an industry like that it would create, you know, millions of jobs and and be one of the biggest economic development booms our country can do, but it also requires collaboration, organization beyond anything I've ever seen in our life, you know, And, and so I don't get have you know we've been talking about this stuff for 20 years you know so i, I don't have a whole lot of faith yet in our organizational capabilities as a species <laughs> you know and it seems like we're getting worse right now so um i'd much rather see that we become more collaborative but we don't think collaboratively in our culture it's not something we've been trained to do
1: so it's very very difficult for us with the uh mushroom uh, market uh kind of burgeoning uh, is uh, some of the kind of anti-cancer components and health components is is that uh, main thing behind that? And can you? Oh
3: yeah, one of the big, I mean, it's one of the big reasons I'm behind it, you know, and get got into it and things like reishi mushrooms and turkey tails. So we can do extracts of those for clients and for people. Um, the big one right now is again is called the Amanita muscaria mushroom. It's the Alice in Wonderland or the Super Mario Brother mushroom, you know, the the red with the white dot, you know red cap with the white dots. So probably the most popular mushroom in the world. A lot of, um, you know, legends and myths made around it. Um, But currently it's uh, one of the fastest growing products I've ever worked with. Um, The demand for it is is pretty crazy. You know, I mean, it's kind of like CBD was back in 2014, you know, 2015 when everybody wanted it but nobody could get it you know um and so it's a uh, very exciting times um you know the growth opportunity potential uh, is, is is pretty pretty exciting the unique part with this mushroom is the symbiotic relationship with the tree so it has to come from the wild we can't commercially grow it like i commercially grow reishi and turkey tail on site if i want to pretty easily but i can't grow this mushroom. So I have to have a network around the world that can harvest it for us, process it properly, and then ship it to us so we can create the products that, that our customers desire.
1: And are there legal, legal hurdles to that?
3: Nope. It's fully legal. Um, there only, there's only a couple of countries in the world where it is illegal. Um, and there's only like one state, I believe, right now, which I think is Louisiana. But other than that, it's an unregulated uh, product in most of the world.
1: And so that would be mainly for the psychoactive uh, component?
3: Well, the psychoactive component, <laughs> it's a, lot, it's a, lot, a lot of people, uh, the demand is what's driving a lot of demand in the beginning. But as we learn more and more, um, like I, I travel to Europe next uh, next week. Uh, one of my clients is in France and they have a skincare company um, and we've been supplying them with... the. Uh, a lot of cannabinoids and now we've got the amanita and uh, they find it to be one of the best pain relieving products they've ever used as a topical hmm. so we're gonna there's a whole lot that we don't understand about this mushroom that our ancestry did you know but for the past say 60 years um, we've been told that it's a neurotoxin it's a poison you know it, it makes you sick the chips are miserable but it's really not a hallucinogenic amanita Works on what is known as your, your GABA A receptors, right? So it's a GABA agonist, like a valium or a benzodiazepine or or Xanax. It's more relaxing, gives you deep sleep. If you take a whole lot of it, it's a disassociative. So you might think you're hallucinating, but you're you're, dis, you're disassociated, right? You're not you're not it's not a psychedelic trip um, as uh, as you would consider um, psilocybin or LSD, because that works more on your dopamine and serotonin receptors uh, but uh, we do find though that uh, amanita is a great product after somebody had used psilocybin or other you know psychedelics because it helps reset the nervous system and calms you down at the end of it so you can go to sleep and you have a nice recovery process
1: and uh, are there any uh threats or issues with uh, fungi being endangered or uh uh you know, the way, they, the way they're intrinsic to systems being cut <laughs> off or broken down? Well, what, what we
3: hope, um, if done right, and you know, if we can you know, get the system set up, is that actually plays the opposite of that. That uh, the, this mushroom, especially the amanita mushroom that we have to go through these forests, um, you know, um, are, are, are uh, potentially going to be an economic driver for the conservation of some of these forests. Because if we can prove how much money we can make off of the harvest of these mushrooms and into the right retail product in the United States and other developed countries, um, that could become an economic driver for us to say, "Hey, we're going to lease the land for you know so many years from you, so you don't cut it down, just so we can go in and harvest these mushrooms because we can make more money than off of the trees or you know clear cut. So these type of opportunities are something we've been talking about and we would like to do. But that still requires a little more organization and a little more funding. Uh, We're just getting started.
2: For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at
0: wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Cook Medical Annual Electronic Waste Recycle Day is scheduled for Saturday, April 29th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Cook Profile Park facility located at 500 North Profile Parkway in Bloomington. This is your chance to get rid of your old computers, printers, or any other electronic devices that no longer work.
2: Sycamore Land Trust is celebrating Arbor Day with a tree giveaway on Saturday, April the 29th from 10, to 1, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Blooming Foods, both the East and Near West
0: locations. There will be 14 native species to select from. Every Wednesday from noon to 3 p.m., enjoy live music by Creekside and Friends at Spring Mill State Park in the Nature Center. Light refreshments will be available as you enjoy nature while listening to music. Take time to lift your spirits. A flora field
2: day is scheduled at the Monroe Lake Tailwater off Monroe Dam Road for Tuesday, May 2nd from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Work on your floral identification skills using Newcomb's wildflower guide, bug spray, hat and water bottle are recommended. Sign up at bit.ly/florafield-may2023.
0: Enjoy a full flower moon hike at Brown County State Park on Friday, May 5th from 8:30 to 10 p.m. Join the naturalist for a guided hike on Trail 7 around Lake Ogle as you learn the history of and folklore of May's full flower moon
2: and that wraps up our show for this week eco report is brought to you in part by mpi solar a bloomington business specializing in solar hot water solar electricity and solar hot air systems mpi solar designs and install solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibilities found locally at 812 334 4003 and on the web at MPI
0: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Kate Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts.
2: And this is Eco Report.
1: You've been listening to the Eco Report,
0: a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB
1: in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
1: ECO Report is your independent, ecologically-inspired news source
0: for South Central Indiana,
1: bringing you news that the Earth wants you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the ECO Report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org.